Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Ladies Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me, as usual, is Mr. Rob. Rob Hirschfeld. How are you doing today, Rob? I'm doing well, but I'm ready to start winding towards home. Been on the road well, Rob, for four weeks. So you're on your second week of the Vegas event uh, extravaganza. I believe you're at Gartner this week. Uh-huh. And uh, we will have to get a podcast talking about your re-event experience and uh, Gartner this week. But uh, I appreciate you jumping on in the middle of a conference to do a, a podcast. And I'm excited. We have a new company, one that I'm just learning about. And um, even cooler, I like their name, Volterra, which I think is a really good name. And maybe I'll have to ask them where that came from. So let me introduce our two guests. And uh, uh, gentlemen, hopefully I did your names good. And if not, I apologize ahead of time. Uh, we have Pranav Dardwalker and Jacob Pavlik. I hope I did okay. Welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you. Um, um, uh, this is Pranav here, uh, Pranav Dharwarkar. I'm the VP of products at uh, Volterra. Um, and uh, I manage essentially all of the product management functions here at Volterra. Hey, guys. Great to having me here in this podcast. My name is Jacob, and uh, I'm leading the SRE team. Uh, at Volterra, so basically all installations of the edges and automation and monitoring and all these things, uh, and technically leading this part in Volterra. Okay. So let me just let me just ask one question before we jump in. Can you just give us a little high uh, level overview of uh, what Volterra does, and then we can start talking about the technology? Sure. So maybe I can start, and then Yaku can uh, can uh, can add on. So Volterra is a uh, uh, is a Series B startup. Uh, we are funded by Kosla, Mayfield, uh, Microsoft, uh, Samsung, uh, Itochu, and SVB. Um, uh, we uh, uh, Volterra is a distributed cloud services platform. We essentially en- enable uh, customers to deploy. Uh, applications, be it containers or virtual machines, across multiple clouds, uh, such as the private uh, on-prem data center or multiple public clouds, or the telco edge cloud, or the enterprise edge cloud, or the device edge. So there are multiple areas where enterprises wish to deploy uh, applications we, we essentially help uh, enterprises deploy applications in all these different clouds and then moreover securely connect these applications um, um, uh, uh, at an application uh, layer and then help them operate this giant um, deployment of applications like a single logical cloud. And that's what we are offering. We call it a distributed cloud. Wow, there's a lot for us to de- deconstruct with this and Try and figure out what's what's going on. So, just to set some some understanding, the Volterra is offering effectively a managed service. In this case, you are operating points of presence for your customers as part of a network. Is that sort of a, a baseline? Uh, so it's both. Uh, so it's both, right? We offer. So so we uh, um, customers may choose to deploy uh, their uh, their applications in their own. 
uh, private data center in their own uh, virtual private clouds in uh, in the public clouds or they may choose to deploy applications in their in uh, 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 in their edge facilities such as their stores or the manufacturing facilities uh, so we help them deploy applications in these locations in addition we also operate our own uh, points of presence which helps connect the, uh, the, their applications in their own uh, uh, in their own locations as well as on our points of presence so the, so that uh, they can provide a differentiated service uh, in terms of latency or bandwidth or user experience to their uh, end customers okay so there's a, a component where they're running it on infrastructure that they they man that they that they buy rent however they want to manage it is it a managed service from that perspective for you or is that is that basically they install it and then connect it into the backbone the network backbone that you've built yeah so they 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 install it but then they're on it is essentially a SaaS. so we provide software as a service so it's a yeah it's, it's managed completely by us um and it's, it's a SaaS offering so uh, as uh, as soon as they install it uh, then it sort of connects into our uh, backbone and our um, uh, uh, and our control plane, and that's how it is managed by by our software, which is what Jakob's teams does at uh, in in Prague is to essentially manage all of these deployments uh, and ensure that uh, uh, their uh, their uh, their uptime is um, is flawless. That makes a lot of sense, and that that I think we see this from you know anybody building an edge an edge story what you're dealing with is network, you know, the network is a big part of that. And I want to, I want to get, definitely get to the networking side. Cause I know that your team has a lot of, you know, very impressive networking credentials and history. And, and so I want to make sure we, we talk about that um, and save, save time for it. But before we do, you know, one of the things that got you on our radar for, for a discussion is you made announcements at KubeCon a couple of weeks ago, um, talking about your, use of the kubernetes platform and how you are um you know working in that community or extending from that community and i'd love to hear about that um sure uh yes I can start so and then uh, you and then Jakub can add as well okay um, um oh sorry uh if if, if you want to go ahead Jakub, go ahead no no so uh so basically, your question, Rob, is, goes to uh, what we do in community or how we use Kubernetes as a part of, of the edge. I'm interested in, in how you're working uh, with Kubernetes. I'm not, I'm not as worried about your community engagement as far as your perspective on Kubernetes, what Kubernetes does well. and Because it, it, it sounded to me like y'all had a specific... You know, we looked at Kubernetes. We think there's some good things. We think there are things that that we needed to change for the edge. Um, and I think for our listeners, that that's a very interesting yeah um, so thing to understand. Mm -hmm. So basically, when we started uh, building this uh, solution, right, we make a bet on Kubernetes, right? So for us, every edge, right, so which can be uh, which can be from small Intel Nook to virtual machine in AWS, GTE, or on-prem server, basically anything, we run uh, independent Kubernetes inside. So basically, uh, we don't uh, use any uh, 
federation or something like that. But from the infrastructure point of view, it's a independent Kubernetes cluster. And on top of it, we run on all our all our control services, right? So basically it's just base OS and then everything is shipped as a container on top of top of Kubernetes. And then for customers, because our customers want to, of course, deploy in dual edges, right? They want to quickly launch containers there, expose services and all these things. We develop something like digital twin for Kubernetes, which we calling uh, virtual Kubernetes, VKTS. And it wor- it works in a way like distributed control plane where we actually replicate uh, cluster deployments and pods into individual clusters and edges. So basically we developed our own solution, which is solving problem of distribution in the Kubernetes because this is uh, basically from our point of view was missing piece for edges, right? And uh, default Kubernetes Federation didn't provide us what we needed. So instead of looking at, please. So I, uh, if I can just add through and just just uh, talk a bit more about the motivation, right? So if you look at the problem that we are trying to solve, a distributed problem, you're, 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 we're enabling customers to deploy applications across multiple clouds, right? Now these clouds are all different. They all uh, they all have different characteristics. You could have a public cloud, you could have a private cloud, you could have an edge. They all have different compute, uh, 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 a different amount of storage. Now, how do you create a uniform layer, a uniform consistent uh, runtime layer and orchestration layer across these different heterogeneous uh, computing environments. And that's why we, we, we chose Kubernetes as our way to provide a uniform, consistent uh, runtime and orchestration layer so that, the, so that our customers don't have to rewrite applications when they want to move from cloud to core to uh, the edge, right? Uh, they, they they write the application once and then and then they can choose where to deploy the application. So uh, so uh, the uh, the essentially we use the we use the KNS as our uniform runtime layer. Now, as Jakub was saying, each of these different locations is essentially a Kubernetes cluster, right? So what we are solving essentially is a big giant multi-cluster problem where the number of clusters are not just uh, a few. Uh, a few uh, single digit number of clusters we are talking about uh, thousands to ten thousands uh, of these clusters so there the problem now becomes is how do you essentially um, manage these different set of clusters as one giant clusters one giant cloud and that's what we as as Jakub mentioned we in- introduced this concept called as virtual kubernetes which essentially i call as a digital fleet twin it's a it's a uh, it's a fleet digital it's, it's a uh, it's a twin for your fleet where you essentially deploy your application onto this digital twin once and we then take over the responsibility of ensuring that the uh, intent is reflected on each of the clusters in that fleet and that's really the uh, uh, i guess a key differentiator of our technology that's a really interesting. So if I understand what you're saying is the, this virtual Kubernetes basically lets it look like I have a, a, a large cluster, even yeah. though it's distributed globally. All right. That, but that brings up a whole bunch of questions because inside of that virtual cluster, the pods can't communicate with 
you know, the way pods are used to communicating and you have etcd, which you know, has each cluster. Um, how do you how do you deal with the idea, you know, can, can a pod stretch across different clusters in this model? No, so each site, each location is 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 a, is a single physical uh, cluster. So what we are essentially doing is these are they're all each individual clusters. We are essentially providing constructs using the same Kubernetes APIs to to for you to manage this as one uh, as a set of uh, distributed clusters. But we we essentially make the management and the operation of this uh, really simple. So in terms of pods, you deploy a pod on an individual site, uh, which could be in the edge or could be in the cloud, and then you enable we enable the pods to communicate with each other across the uh, 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 wherever the pods exist. So we provide a full layer three to layer seven uh, integrated stack, uh, all the way from routing to uh, to uh, to a proxy to an application firewall and an API gateway, all in one giant stack that enables uh, these pods to communicate with each other uh, wherever the pods may exist. Okay, so in, in that case, uh, let's drill into the networking a little bit because what, what yeah. you're describing is a need for pod networking that, that actually helps the pods you know, connect together in, in, I guess, a sort of seamless way. And you, you, you've, you've been mentioning layer seven. I'm, I'm interested how the system you know, sort of builds that network, that network topology. What's what's that look like? Yes. <clears throat> so maybe Yakub, you want you want to start on this? Yeah. Let's let's. Uh, okay. So basically, the way how it works is that we created our own layer three, layer seven, uh, integrated networking component, which runs on every node in the physical Kubernetes cluster, and we wrote our own CNI plugin. So basically, there is isolation between the namespaces, right? So when you when you are a customer, uh, you have tenant. Uh, that tenant is transformed into namespace in the physical cluster, and then there is uh, network isolation uh, between those uh, namespaces. So if you deploy pods in as a part of one namespace, they can reach each other, basically. Um, and then you have Kubernetes services. So basically, you creating Kubernetes services again. It automatically uh, creates uh, virtual hosts because we our technology is based on Envoy. So we creating virtual host in Envoy and orchestrate kind of like service mesh. If you think about service mesh, we basically instructing those Envoy proxies to. Uh, uh, manage traffic between one cluster, but also in the multiple cluster. And since each each our site uh, creates automatically IPsec or uh, or SSL VPN, we can very easily mm -hmm. uh, make a connectivity between port in one location to port in the another location. Is is there a latency concern from that perspective? Could you be you know connecting two clusters together and that have a latency sensitivity, but then you know aren't aren't aware of the change? How do you how do you help? You know, is is the story here no, so, more about the management of distributed clusters, or is there a is there a way that you can actually help you know 
bring you know pods into closer proximity? Uh, is there is there a schedule some yes. type of scheduling there? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah. So, so at least the way. So if I can just uh, if I can jump in, Jakub, uh, and then maybe you can you can add is. If you look at the locations where we are helping customers deploy their applications and connect them is either in the cloud, either the on-prem or public cloud, but then also the telco edge and the enterprise edge, which means that we are essentially helping them bring their applications closer to where the data is being generated, such as the sensors, right? So mm -hmm. if, if, the, if, the, if the customers is, is worried about latency, uh, then let's say you're talking about a manufacturing customer where there's data being generated in the manufacturing facility from these sensors or from these robots, they can essentially move the application onto a general purpose compute inside the manufacturing facility, right? Uh, so it doesn't get more uh, 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 more better in terms of latency uh, if, if the application that is processing the data is sitting right next to where the data is being generated. Um, same thing with actually right. a robot where a robot could have compute. You can actually deploy an, a container or a VM inside the robot where the data is being generated to process some of the data, right? Uh, in case of e-commerce or gaming, the telco edge is where they can deploy full-blown containers or VMs, for example, such as a game server, or maybe they can deploy something called as a GraphQL or BFF right. on but the network edge, which is doing some of the latency-sensitive processing. Right, so I, I, under, I understand the, the benefit of moving the workloads into proximity. I guess what I'm looking for is, does, are you helping make that decision? Are you automating some of the you know, rebalancing of a system to reduce latency? Or if you're connecting two, two clusters together that are geographically distributed, do you have something that's helping manage or detect the latency in that network? So because we, we provide the full uh, stack uh, all the way from layer three, layer seven, and they're connecting through our backbone, we have full visibility into the performance, right? And because we have, we actually have built our own backbone, which means we actually are, uh, have, have, trans, have private connectivity between, the, between our pops, so we can make the, the decision in terms of the best route. But we don't okay. make a decision on behalf of the customer to say where should they deploy the the, the container of the VM. They make their own decision. We help facilitate it. We make it easy for them to make a decision. Uh, but we provide them full observability on the uh, the the uh, the stats and the metrics. That makes sense. Um, and so because yeah. of the, because you've added the networking capabilities for the system all of the pods effectively have secure network uh, activity between the pods. So you've, you've effectively created a, a virtual network for all of the Kubernetes instances that your customers are deploying. That yeah, e even more. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's, that's amazing that, uh, that you said that, that that's a great summary. What you've done is we've created a virtual network uh, at the layer seven level, not at the layer three level, for each namespace. So imagine, so basically what we're also offering is multi-tenancy at, uh, at scale, which means you could have multiple tenants. We actually create a virtual network per namespace inside one tenant, right? So you could have multiple namespaces and each could be isolated uh, between each other. Uh, if I can just deep dive on this one thing of layer Please. seven versus layer three. I, that was, I was gonna ask you, uh, so that yeah. consider yourself asked. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know, so the the way the way normally 
uh, so I came from a networking background and the, the, the way normally it is done is, you know, people connect, you know, using say L3 VPN and they create this giant flat layer three network across uh, cloud, across on-prem, across uh, edges. And this becomes a big challenge is it's a flat layer three network and I can't control who talks to whom, right? What we have done is we've actually put, as I said, uh, a proxy in front of every cluster which means every connection is is a layer seven uh, uh, connection which can be controlled, right? So we do the full. So so basically because we're because uh, this is a proxy, everything is uh, is is fronted by by a globally distributed proxy. So now you can actually add a policy in one place. You say you know uh, service A cannot communicate with service B or dev services cannot talk to production services. And that could be one policy that you set in and we then uh, push it to all the proxies, globally distributed proxies worldwide uh, to enable us to, uh, to control um, uh, the, the application communication uh, across the world, right? So that is the big advantage of having a proxy in front of every sort of, uh, in, in, in front of every cluster. And, and that goes back to the whole multi-cluster service mesh that, uh, that Yakub was mentioning earlier. So are you, do you consider what you, it, it makes a lot of sense to me. Are, yeah. are you describing what you build as a service mesh or would somebody still need to use a service mesh as part of the routing infrastructure per cluster? So where we exist is we are essentially the ingress of the, of the cluster, right? So we are a multi-cluster service mesh across the van and or, or via the ingress gateway, right? Now, inside their cluster, which is inside maybe their, their VPC in AWS or in, uh, in Azure, they may choose to have an internal service mesh, but what, where we are essentially is a multi-cluster, so, so an inter-cluster service mesh is where we, we excel because we provide the full stack, as I said, routing plus a, plus a proxy, plus a firewall, plus an um, uh, API gateway that essentially works across the van. And, and that's really where we excel. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And, you know, one of the things that, that was very clear at KubeCon was service mesh um, is a critical component for uh, Kubernetes. And um, up until we've talked to you, I really haven't talked to any company that's trying to build a geographically distributed service mesh. It makes, it makes a lot of sense for that, for that need. And so the layer seven component is really saying that you might have aspects of your software infrastructure services that you're running that are in a geo-distributed way. Every cluster can still find that distributed set of services. It's effectively what it sounds like you're saying. Exactly right. And and then now you don't you don't change anything once your once say your service was in you know you wrote the uh, the enterprise wrote the application in their public cloud that's their dev right they tested it in their on prem and now they eventually deployed it in the edge in the manufacturing facility your service remains the same right your service is not changing it's still a service that you expose uh, and then if, if if it were layer 3 your ip addresses would change you would have to have different rules and firewall and stuff like that this is a layer seven, right? As soon as you wrote it, you deployed it, nothing changes. Your policies remain the same wherever the application moves. And that's really the beauty of, of, of this, right? 
and and you know when we looked at Istio, which was great, which is great for an internal service mesh, but Istio was not great for multi-cluster. When it goes beyond the cluster, Istio was not was 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 not great, or or was still uh, in the infancy stage. And that's why we sort of built this multi-cluster service mesh to essentially enable these different clusters to talk to each other across. Uh, across the van or um, um, or across the core. Maybe I can add. Uh, Jacob, uh, 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 do you yeah. want to add something? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Something. I just wanted to add, right, that Branaf is talking mainly about our edges, right? But we have also uh, a, a possibility to step our ingress, kind of ingress gateway in customer Kubernetes cluster without even need to deploy our edge right and then we can easily uh, do the discovery of his cluster services and then he can easily expose it into any other place very uh, very easily if it is if it is external cluster there are some limitations we can only do ingress and we and we cannot do for instance inter cluster uh, actions much because we run only as an ingress gateway but we still can do uh, discovery from Kubernetes, discovery from DNS, from console. So uh, all these integrations uh, are there. That makes a lot of sense. And then is the networking you're building effectively, you're not opening firewall holes? It sounds, you, I, we had talked about like a zero trust networking scenario. So as you as you build as you build up this infrastructure, each pod is basically networked together, but you don't have to open up a ton of security holes from that perspective uh no because basically if you're talking about our ingress gateway talking out we just need port 443 or 4500 right for ipsec or uh ssl vpn and then it goes through uh, through the tunnel right and uh, inside of the cluster if it is inside our edge since we are cni plugin we we have visibility into whole data plane right so we can configure policies uh, layer 3 layer 7 policies easily wow that's really impressive yeah. and then go ahead so i was i was going to add right so so the the big problem that you then that uh, that that customers see is uh is okay um uh, security is a big problem and and the way t t uh, typically people try to solve this is you know as so long as i put a layer 3 vpn uh, I'm good, right? But layer three VPN is only securing the securing the tunnel, as you said, right? But the applications are essentially talking to each other, and how do you essentially enable policies at the application level, right? And that's what first. So, so the multiple steps to it is yes, you need to do a secure layer three uh, a layer three tunnel, uh, absolutely. But uh, uh, but on top of that, what you also need to do is by having a uh, a proxy in front of every cluster. You're essentially hiding all of the uh, applications uh, uh, behind the proxy, right? So that's so that's another level of security where the uh, where where everything is is terminated. But but the more important thing is enabling a mutual TLS communication between clusters, right? That now enables uh, uh, essentially your trust. Each each party is authenticated when you have the communication, right? So that's the that's that's another uh, um, uh, aspect of zero trust. That's, that, and that's, a, that's an important that's an important thing. I, I think people really uh, don't pay enough attention to the TLS and you know, the yes. ability to build private keys, right? Kubernetes really depends on TLS, 
and building yeah. encrypted communications. And, and when if you look at uh, Kelsey Hightower's Kubernetes the hard way, the hard way is actually only hard because of all the certificates you have to build and distribute. Um, and so yeah. if you're helping with that, it's, you know, I always, I always think people overlook that as a component. And, and I love that you're using the TLS infrastructure inside of your distributed cluster because that does add a lot yes. of security. That's a, that's a good, that's a good design we, plan. Yeah, and, and the key things, so sorry, Yaakov, sorry, if I can jump in and then maybe you can add on to it is one of the key things that we are doing is we are essentially promoting this idea of application identity, right? Actually having an identity for, for, for every container or a VM uh, to essentially allow, we generate uh, uh, X509 certificate for every container. So now that now once you have an identity, then your TLS communication is based on that identity, right? And then you can make policy decisions to say, you know, is service A or is allowed to communicate to service B, uh, and and use the 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 sort of the identity to essentially ensure that uh, the the communication be allowed. The next thing is also secrets, right? The application wants to retrieve some secrets from from Vault. Again, you need an identity to prove, okay, this is application A, and I want to retrieve my secret, which is stored in Vault, and, and do you allow that communication? So all of this comes from this from the fundamental uh, application identity uh, uh, problem that, that we are solving um, uh, within our platform. Yeah, uh, so I just wanted to add, right, that I am talking to customers, right, and various people, right, what I realize is that basically, when they want to do MTLS, right, usually first problem is that application itself needs to support MTLS, right, which is a bit challenging for many applications, right, to, to, to talk over MTLS. And then second thing that if they finally roll out MTLS everywhere, then they have almost impossible to rotate those certs, right? So they minting like certs with three years or, or never expiration, right? And all these kind of things, right? So this is the big challenges for normal applications to even use MTLS. But if you take, a, if you think, if you take a sidecar, right, which you can put into next of, uh, into next container application, right? R running with your identity, and this service can essentially give you all those certs, right? And then you can rotate them and you can also enable MTLS in front of those apps, right? Rather than inside of the apps. So this is also one of the things which we are looking on to make it very easy, consumable and usable and also without losing performance, right? Because I saw some discussions in uh, Istio community, right? And with some users and what they basically saying is that they want MTLS, but if they enable MTLS and the performance is very slow, right? Or it's slow down their data traffic, they cannot afford it. So guys, this is Steve Spector jumping back on. So uh, Pranav oh, and Jacob. So much good uh, questions, Steven. No, I, I <laughs> the amount All of right. OSI layer All networking right. uh, uh, in my computer science days, many, many moons ago, networking was the death of me. So I'm going to have to listen to this a few times and pull out my old textbook. 
But um, I think this was really good stuff. And and uh, if people want to learn more about your company, uh, reach out to either one of you. Uh, where should uh, where should they go? Uh, go to our website, uh, Volterra, uh, V-O-L-T-E-R-R-A dot I-O. Uh, and, uh, and also reach out to us, uh, request a demo. Um, and... Uh, uh, and and read our documentation. We've actually we've put a lot of our uh, uh, almost everything uh, that we are doing in in our in our in our uh, technical documentation. So uh, uh, read on that, uh, and then uh, ask any questions uh, of us. Uh, support at Westerdive. Great, and I thank both of you for coming. This was really great, Rob. Way technical today. <laughs> so I know you have. Yeah, everyone should be excited. We try to do that. You guys are fantastic for first-time podcasters. You guys are great. Of course, you've done videos, so this is this is much easier. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed this uh, podcast, as always, that Rob and I say. If you have questions, you want to join us on something, uh, please reach out. Well, thanks again to both of you for joining us. Uh, we appreciate having you on this morning. Thank you.